Terrica, why? I, I don't think I've ever asked you. Why? Why did you help me? Well, because I don't like for one bad situation in real estate to ruin the entire dream. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, real estate changed my life. It took me off of welfare. It took me off of food stamps. It took me off Section 8. And so I know, like, if it can change my life, somebody who's in the mud, it can change anybody's life. But a lot of the times people get involved, they have the wrong people, they got all these, you know, fly by night coaches or whatever the case may be, they get burned and then they quit forever. Mm-hmm. But any successful person will tell you real estate has to be a part of your portfolio. How do you make a million dollars and not be able to depreciate it? What do you mean? Like Explain in that. real estate. See, I understand it now, but what do you mean? by make a million dollars and not be able to depreciate it. Right. So like in real estate, we have certain tax benefits that we can use through our real estate properties um, through investments. And so you have depreciation where you can write off a certain portion of that particular investment over a certain period of time, depending on the investment, what type of um, real estate the way you have it set up pretty much, right? So if it's multifamily or, you know, just a single door, however it is, like your attorney or your tax advisor, whoever you use to do your taxes can actually depreciate that money where you don't have to pay taxes on um, so much capital. Like that makes sense? So give give me an example with real numbers. Let's say I make a million dollars for the year. Me personally, I make a million dollars in some other business. Mm -hmm. You're saying... I can buy some real estate and I won't have to pay the whole million dollars. I won't have to pay taxes on the whole million dollars that I made. Correct? Correct. So it depends on how you buy it up under what entity. Like, I don't want to, you know, mislead the right. folks. Give me, right? give me a, a, an example. You yeah. know what I mean? Maybe it's not. Okay. Yeah. So for instance, right, um, I buy um, a rental property for $100,000. Okay. Well, the IRS won't recognize that as a gain until you go and sell it. Currently, that's how it goes, right? Because mm-hmm. that's a um, that would be considered a gain. So what happens is you're able to build unrecognized gains in real estate, which means you can refile, pull money out, go put it somewhere else. But the depreciation aspect of it is you able to deduct a certain portion of your interest, your rents, the um, actual value of the property in order to get a tax break for you acquiring that property. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And so with that, you know, you see a lot of people before December 31st, they're rushing to go buy real estate mm. because they want to go and get the tax, you know, the tax advantages. And so you cannot have an extensive amount of wealth and not look for tax vehicles to be able to put that in. And so having the right tax person, like you got a great team now, you know, um, I have a great team. It, t- it keeps us out of jail, right? You know, having the people to tell us, hey, look, this is what you need to go buy. This is where you need to do this. You need to hold a few meetings at your house. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, they tell us different things um, to be able to put us in um, different um, tax categories. Like, my um, attorney hit me um, because, you know, this internet money is crazy, right? So I'm like, yo, I don't want to go to jail. What we need to do? And, you know, but I also don't want to give Uncle Sam 45% because he ain't really loving me like that. So I'm trying to figure <laughs> right. this out. And so he was like, you know, you can go get a healthcare IRA. I'm like, what? A healthcare IRA? He like, yeah. IRA. Yeah. He like, so I don't need, like, I don't have to go and pay, like, it's almost like you'll put an amount in an IRA of what you think your health expenses is going to be and it's allocated towards your health. Well, that's a tax vehicle I would have never known about oh, wow. without the right people. Like, you know what I'm saying? So how much I think my health going to be? I don't know. Maybe 50 grand. Yeah, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Mm. You tell me what my health need to be. <laughs> right, you know right, what I'm right. saying? And I'm going to put it there. But it's just like having those different type of advantages, you know. Um, and by no means, I'm not no tax expert or anything like that. But I do understand buying real estate um, allows me more tax vehicles than not having real yeah, estate. Yeah, for sure. I want to have like a conversation about building wealth and some people uh, maybe don't understand the value of real estate. And I know Ramel, you don't do like traditional real estate where it's like a, I got a building, a retail building then I'll fill it up with tenants. Well, I guess you do like the storage units. Right. But like, I want to talk about like the, 
the psychology behind long-term wealth because I'm just now getting into the understanding of it's better to buy and hold and get some cash flow going versus let me just find something that I can flip it. The more mm-hmm. I can make on the flip, the better. But it's not always better, yeah. like long-term. So how do we start turning our mindset to thinking long-term? So for me, for me, it, so I got two or three things. So for me, I would start out doing sales. So I was a wholesale mm-hmm. and I was a real estate agent. So I was real estate agent first and I was wholesale. One month, this was pissed me off. I had about 67, the exact number was $67,000 I was supposed to make in profit between three different deals, and they all terminated at the same time. Flips or, uh, or wholesales? Wholesales. All at the same time. And this was my birthday month. So it was just like super pissed off. So I, the idea of starting back over all over again in January was just, it just I didn't, it just didn't sit right for me, especially, you know, say New Year, New Resident. Like you starting off like, damn, I got to start off all over again. So that was the idea that made the switch for me. Like I need to start getting like more properties, the whole rentals and things like that. And then also one of the things that also helped me get started was um, I was listening to this this podcast and the guy was on the podcast. And he said what he did was he bought two properties for his daughter. He said one property, she can sell it to to pay for college. She could sell it to go ahead and start her business. And the second property is she can move into it or she can sell it about how she really wants. He bought them properties super cheap. But by the time she turned 18, they paid down and the value is so crazy where she's able to do that. But just like the idea of me buying two houses can set up all of that long term is is just amazing. And then the last thing with long term wealth, you can literally dip into the same pot over and over again. So, for mm-hmm. example, I bought a property in 2021. I bought it for one hundred and ninety three thousand dollars. I actually own two of these on the same block um, across the street from each other. I bought a prop. One of them I bought for one ninety three. I put. 45, let's just say $50,000 into it, updating everything as a triplex. I ran out each unit for twelve fifty a unit, right? I refinanced the building. So I put a loan on it for three eighty, dollars and I pulled out a hundred and something grand, right? So now my loan is three eighty, But the value went up even more, and now I'm actually selling the building. Like right now, we're going to be closing in the next three weeks. Mm. I'm selling it for four eighty five. So now my loan amount is three seventy something so four eighty five minus three. So basically- And you already pulled out a hundred tax-free that I use to go ahead and buy across the street, which is worth five fifty, and I only owe two eighty on that building. Dang. So now between two buildings, I can pull out 200, 300 grand between two, but that's in two years. So long-term, I can go ahead and dip in. And if I didn't even want to sell it, I could just refi again. Pull. The only thing is you got to watch your cash flow. The higher mortgage the higher the the um the higher the loan amount, the higher your monthly mortgage payment. So you just gotta be mindful of that. So a lot of people say I refi pull all the money out, but then if you can you got a triplex, you cash flow on two hundred dollars, like that don't really right. it's like a waste of time. You up are you up up? No, we just How many properties you got? <laughs> we got we got seventeen, eighteen properties. Some of them single families, some of them duplex and triplex. So total we got about thirty nine units. And then I got a bunch doors. of lots too. Yeah, thirty nine doors. You buy lots too. Yeah, yeah, hell yeah. Yeah. We about to start building on three three lots next month. We all the way up. Nah, How much money you use on these deals? On you like on your you're out of cash, out of pocket. <laughs> so <laughs> so the thing is with that is is too I had I'd use other people's money as far as like so I use lenders for eighty percent of my deals and then they require a twenty percent down payment. So I might need $20,000, $30,000, $15,000 on some of them, which I just use a credit card. But I'm not going to lie, my, um, one of my business partners tell me, like, I just be moving too fast sometimes. <laughs> so some of the deals, like some of the bigger deals I do, I might need 70, 80 grand down payment, things like that. And let's say, for example, I, all my deals is off market. So I don't use real estate agents. Mm. So with that being said, some of the sellers, we need like, it might be issues or something. We got to do it fast. Lenders, like, my lender, we can close the same week. So, like, I get to do on Monday. Title might be back already. Whatever the reason is, we can move fast. Like, my, let's say we need 70000 80000 Let's just drop it. Let's just, come on, just drop it. Let's keep it, keep it pushing. My partner, he's like, nah, like, you tripping. Like, if if you can't delay it, it ain't worth it. But I'm looking at the bigger picture. Like, this is an amazing deal. Like, just give him the eighty grand. let us keep it pushing. So, yeah. a lot of my stuff I use... 
lenders and then the other little 20% piece, I use credit cards. All right, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you can keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headache, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. It just makes sense. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit from NetSuite? I know you see it. Listen to me. If you have everything scattered in business, you cannot grow. And everything is more expensive when you have more and more processes layered on top of each other, more and more softwares. You got to get out of that. And it, it will improve efficiency and cut costs. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com slash social proof. That's NetSuite.com slash social proof. NetSuite.com slash social proof. It's so important that black voices are represented in black media for so many different reasons. And the next generation of black uh, voices and influencers from black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collections, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. And every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Smyrta to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black Stories, Black Truths. I listen and I'm enjoying these conversations that are for us, by us. Black representation, again, it hasn't always been uh, shared from our perspective. And black perspectives haven't been censored in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Here are a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR. Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen to the Black Stories, Black Truths on NPR, wherever you get podcasts. But some of them, I was just like, yo, let's just, just grab it. Like, we'll figure the rest out later. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not like that no more, but that was like last year. So you know, residential is way better than commercial, bro. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> no, he got some. I got, I got, I got three commercial builders too that I'm starting to like. So he, he kind of helped me convert. Right. Yeah, well, three like that. that they commercial makes you so storefronts on the first floor and apartments upstairs. But I like the commercial. You got though. someone? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got three. Of them. Three? Yeah. Nah, he might, he might, he might, Tell me you up without saying you up. <laughs> just with no, commercial real estate man uh because i it, it really actually actually as i get deeper into commercial real estate um it seems less headache but less lucrative than getting a whole bunch of residential no um no see um, like my brother, he always say, become more effective in less time, right? Yeah. So, what it mm. takes, some, what it takes somebody to do thirty years, I want to do it in ten. Mm-hmm. And the back, like to the questions that you so you talking about long term wealth, my dad instilled that in me when I was young because he worked thirty years and then he retired and he had to go pick up another job. Right. So that was my motivation growing up. Like, damn, you know, I seen you work 50, 60 hours, retired. Now you got to get a part time job. So I'm thinking when I turn that age, 
everything I'm doing now need to be taking care of me. So mm. I'm investing with the mindset of, all right, what I'm doing now, what is going to look like 10, 15, 20 years from now, right? So with that being said, buying commercial real estate, I one acquisition. Like I don't need to buy 10, 15, 20 houses. Why? I'm, right. I'm spinning my wheels, right? I want to spend time with my family. So all I need is one move, and I can maximize that one move and get back the value that it would have probably took me to get five, 10 single families. Now, I started out that way. I'm not going to bash it because it was a lower entry, you know, a lower barrier to entry. But now with more experience, more capital, and more understanding, commercial for me because like, so this is this is commercial building, yeah. right? So you got multiple streams coming out of here. You know, you written out, you know, different space. I want you all know, the door, all so, the door. <laughs> so you up without saying you up, right? <laughs> but, That's a bar. Um, <laughs> but you know, the the revenue that you bringing out of this building that increases the value of yeah. your facility. I mean, of your uh, building, right? Because you bring in more income. So I'd rather focus on one building. How can I make the most money out of this one building and get the money that way? Versus let me go buy another house. Let me is go buy another e- house. Is it easier to get residential houses, or it's the same process? It's easier because it's more. It's more homes out there. It's more people mm-hmm. that's in distressed situations. A little tougher to find great commercial deals. Right. But again, for me, I'd rather spend a little bit more time on the commercial, even though it take a little longer. Because when I do hit a home run, it's gonna take. It's gonna make up for if I in that time I went and got three, four singles. There's two sides to every coin, and as a journalist, it's my responsibility to ask the question of the other side. Because all this could go terribly wrong, yes? Oh, well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it could. It has. It has. I want to share that, too, because that's a great point. Because, yeah. yes, I can tell you this worked, and I did it X, Y, Z. But before that happened, I was in a bad deal, right? Because I paid contractors to do a job, didn't do, I do, do my due diligence, right? I bought a property on an auction. And when you buy them on the auctions online, it's a blind sell. So you're just buying them. Mm. It's cheap. But you don't know what you get, right? So I was over leveraged, and, and again to be transparent, the reason why I had to go and do the family legacy meeting and leverage my cousin because I was over leveraged at the time. Oh, because wow. I bought, I, I invested wrong, I maxed up my credit cards. And I'm like, damn, I'm strapped. But in that process, I learned what I did wrong. So now I said, as long as because I have the information, who could I pull around me that's going to help me get back in the game? And that's how I got back on track. That's hard. And now go from there. That's hard. And you know I always got to add something. <laughs> I always got to add yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, you got the Jeezy ad-libs. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah I got to add something. So, add so much to the song. Yeah. I think also, well, two things. One, you have to find someone, whether it's a mentor, friend tour, mentor, have to find someone that's already doing the stuff so you can learn. You could... Me, it doesn't make sense to trip if someone already walked 10 miles before you. Just learn, follow their steps. Yeah. They already said a pothole there. You go to the right a little bit. But also, I think you can't lose, but it can be delayed. So, for example, if you buy right. So, like I was telling you, all properties we buy them off market. We get them as cheap as humanly possible. So, when you buy right and buy cheap, you're never going to lose. Even if you, like, borrow a little too much money or, you know, spend a little extra than you thought. If you bought, Let's say, for example, you plan to spend $50,000 on this property fix-up. End up costing you seventy thousand dollars, but if you bought the house for fifty and it's worth, let's just say, two fifty when it's all said and done, even though you spent a little bit more money than you thought, mm-hmm. it's still a whole lot of room left over. So what we do in, in our business, we make sure that we get it cheap as humanly possible. That way, if we we call it oh shit money, we can build in oh shit money within the deal. So. If I'm I'm factoring in a fifteen percent contingency, twenty percent total. If something goes wrong. We already factored in. Yeah. So that way, if the deal goes over leverage, like we're still going to make money. Still, the problem is, let's say, for example, he says 70% loan of value. So what that means, if you have a property that's, when everything is sitting down worth $100,000, the lender will give you up to 70 grand. Mm. That means you got to buy it and fix it up within the 70. You buy it for 20, put 50 into it. Buy it for 50, put 20 into it. However you chop it down, that's, that's your max. We buy deals 65% of the LZ. So we already under what you give. So that way, if the deal goes south a little bit, 1%, now you 1% over. We go over 1%. We go over 3%. We still under the math. So, like, I think it just comes down to making sure, like, don't be all fast. Just buy right. 
But the only way you really gonna know that is you tapping with somebody that's telling you that information and just not be so excited. I think people get so excited and just like, I just wanna buy something, I just wanna buy something. Mm. Older guy told me this a long time, not a long time ago, like two years ago. He said, wrong with y'all generation now, y'all wanna buy houses just cause it look cool. It does look cool though. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. the hell yeah it looks cool, but Facts. you know, but yeah, then you but then you in jams yeah. where like, dang. So more to bring the whole thing full circle. Your bag may be delayed another month or two, but you're not going to lose because you bought it right the first time. Now, some people buy messed up and then they at the closing table getting a check for a thousand dollars or they I've seen people where it got so bad where they was negative at the closing table. selling. Right. yeah, because they bought super wrong. Like, yo, chance that he got a deal for me in Atlanta. Like it's chance I got to buy it. Like they attach your brand to the deal. That that's two separate things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's stuff that. So here was the first option: mm-hmm. create a GPLP mm-hmm. who owns the real estate only. We create a new company. It says David, Terica, Derek, Stephanie creates a GPLP, real estate only. Invests only in the acquisition. Purchase price one million. Agree to pay investors back a monthly payment. Example: If this new company occupies this building, this million dollar building, mm-hmm. the new company pays the building money, and the investors who gave the million dollars will make money off of the rent. So that option. Think of it like this, right? Forget the podcast idea. We're just going buy commercial real estate. Mm-hmm. That's what that deal is. We're getting investors. We're going buy buy you know a commercial property. That commercial property, we're going to put a commercial tenant, and that tenant is going to pay us lease. It's going they're going to pay us rent, and over time, we're going to you know realize a certain cap rate. We're going to make profit off of normal investment operations, and that's that. And so on the other side, right, like the podcast is the actual business that's yeah. in the unit. So in in that scenario. The building leases out to a strong tenant, which is this company that I'm going to create. So, so I can go to someone and say, hey, give me a million dollars. I'm going to buy this building. I'm going to build it out. And you will make a payment. You will make money not only off of the, uh, the money that the tenant, which is me, is paying the building, but also you're an equity owner in the building. So... Being an equity owner, owner in the building gets you profit off of those lease revenues, whatever come in. So podcast aside, again, this is just a real estate investment. You're an LP. You're a GP in this case, right? So you own the building. You also own the company that is going to be occupying the building. Does that make sense? Yes. So Explain GPLP. So GPLP, it's a type of structure that's used in a lot of large transactions. I mean, from even smaller, like let's just say there's a 20 unit, you know, we bought, right? Uh, We use the GPLP structure for that. If you're doing, you know, syndication, which is, you know, in layman's terms, you know, using crowdfunding, right? Um, Through different SEC exemptions for uh, raising money for securities, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can use that GPLP structure as well. So GP stands for general partner. LP stands for limited partner. The way that I usually remember those is your GP is your operator. They're the, they're the quarterback. They're putting all the pieces together. They found the investors. They found the deal. You know, they find the property managers. They do all the stuff, like all the end of year accounting, like they do everything, right? Mm-hmm. And for that work, they are compensated a portion of equity in that deal. The LPs, limited partners, are your investors. It's the easy way to remember it. Operator, investor. A GP can Give also me some numbers. Give me some numbers, examples. Yeah. So let's just say, uh, you know, again, you know, let's just say a $2 million deal, right? We're talking about this right here. We'll round it up to two um, GPLP type of situation. Let's say the GP structure, you know, looks to be, you know, 15% of equity. So to find the deal, to operate it, to put the whole thing together, to find the tenant, to do all these other things, uh, LPs agree to provide 15% of deal equity on that property, which is ownership, profit, like it's everything, right? Um, uh, 15% to that GP group. The LPs own 85%. Mm-hmm. They're bringing all the money. So in this case, they're bringing $2 million for 85% of the business. That's what they're bringing to the table. Mm-hmm. GPs are bringing expertise, skill, work, ability to execute work, most importantly, yeah. for 15%. I see. So 
in this scenario, if I'm, say I'm going to buy this building, a million dollars, I may say I find a group of people who are all going to put in maybe 100000 50000 or whatever mm-hmm. to make up this million dollars. Yep. But this million dollars represents 85%. The other 50, 15% equity will come from us, like people who are either finding these investors or uh, uh, monitoring the build-out and all that kind of stuff and structuring it and getting all the contractors and stuff like that. That's right. Okay, so that would be an attractive option for an investor. How? So in this case, and I can tell you of all, it, of all the options, you know, everything comes down to like the investor profile because all the three options that you would have gotten, I don't know exactly the other two. Go I, through them. I know where, she, I know where she's coming from. So I can pretty much tell you what the other two are because that's what <laughs> I would say, you know, but, um, but generally uh, the type of investment structure depends on the type of investor you want, because you know, someone like, you know, me, where I'm at in my real estate journey, short-term cash flow is, is not as important as long-term money plays. Now, when you're starting out or, you know, let's just say, you know, you still at your W2, like you're working through, you know, trying to build up that real estate portfolio, there is a greater importance for short-term cash flow because you need it to pay bills. But there is a crossover point where short-term cash becomes less important and that enables you to focus on long-term plays, which are much more profitable long-term. So, um, and that's really the dream, right? The long-term plays. And so in this case, why would investors prefer, you know, option one where they're owning the building? You know, I would say the investor profile for that is someone who doesn't really have a high need for short-term cash flow, and they're looking more for the long-term value add and appreciation that's going to occur or that's going to be realized in this building. Got it. Got it. Because no matter what happens to the actual business, whether the business is busy, slow, all that kind of stuff, they own the real estate. You know what? You said something to me one time. You picked me up from the airport in Louisiana, uh, in Lafayette, and you said you own some properties yourself, mm-hmm. like just not a part of a, a uh, like a group. It's just right, right. this is these are my properties. And I forgot the question, but I remember the answer was, "Man, I'm really trying to get rid of those so I could do more syndication stuff." <laughs> it is true. Why so, is that? It seems like yeah. you own the property and you make the money, and maybe you put a a system in place where, you know, property management or whatever, mm-hmm. and you get to own it versus a portion of other stuff. Yeah. So, and, and that that's a real hot topic, you know, in the real estate market, because you, you, you talk to, you know, different types of investors and they'll be like, oh, if you don't own a hundred percent, then you don't own it. And I'm like, well, first off, Blackstone, you know, right. biggest, oh, wow. you know, pretty much hedge fund in the world, they would have something to say about that. Right. All these large real estate funds, you know, all the REITs, everything, your real estate investment trust, all of those, like they, they, they own things outright, you know, but their investors are comprised of proportional ownership, you know, and yes, I can go out and build a real estate empire, you know, by just stacking properties. Let me get them one at a time and eventually I'll be able to do two at a time and then four at a time and then 10 at a time. But the difference is, is that number one, when you don't collaborate with investors like that, you're missing out on huge networking opportunities because mm. like if you and I just knew each other, right, that would be a certain level of, you know, we'll call it like, you know, business intimacy, right? Like I know a certain part of you, but if we're doing deals together and those deals are, you know, very much complex and it requires a greater level of trust. Well, hold on. Now all of a sudden, like it, it is different. You know what I mean? Like when you come into town, it's like, Hey, we're not going to eat at a restaurant. Like I'm bringing you to my house. Like we got dinner on the stove. Like it's that type of stuff. So there's the, the networking portion of it, but also it's just like, you know, stereotypical business term of synergy, you know, like mm-hmm. I mean, you saw that, uh, some big Microsoft announcement a while back, but the CEO was up there on stage, like super sweating, you know? mm-hmm. just like sweating bucks off. He's like yelling synergy and all this. Stuff. So that's what it is. But like, if I take, you know, 10 investors that each have $10. Okay. That's a hundred dollars of investment right there. This is a small investment, obviously, but you know, if I take 10 investors, each of them have $10, if they invest that on their own, right? The power of that money is 10 bucks. Well, if I put all those 10 people together, the power is not a hundred. It's a lot higher than a hundred. And so you're able to scale a whole lot better in group economics. Um, Honestly, it's less work. 
you know, because if I own properties outright, I have to find property managers. I have to do underwriting. I have to do deal structure. I have to find funding. I have to do all these things. But if we're doing group economics, all I'm doing right now is underwriting and I'm really good at it. Okay. Terika, she's doing acquisitions and she's the best at, I have not found one person better. I'm being very (laughs) honest about it. You know, um, you know, so you're able to, to focus on specializations and it's the same type of efficiencies you would see, you know, if you're looking at like a small mom and pop style business versus a large corporation, Mm -hmm. you know, large corporations, they have tax analysts, right? They have, you know, a product specialist, right? That only focus on product design. Whereas mom and pop, you're doing everything, right? So you're spread thin. So I, I will I will defend that to the death in every single scenario, you know, and, and there, there is benefit to owning it yeah. outright on your own. But just for me and my investment strategy, there, there's no other apex approach than group economics. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. All right, cool. We found this deal and I'm like, bro, this dude, I mean, it's less than 1% interest he paying on this. Like, I can't make this up. Am I lying? No, like 1%. Nah. And he was like, he still had questions. I'm like, David, do you understand? <laughs> it's like $8,000 or $7,500 or something like that to put down. A crazy number. You own this portfolio. Like, we didn't even do a bond for D. Like, we did a credit sale. So when you go look this up, David is the owner. Like, for $8,000 and people try to make it bigger than what it really is. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Somebody told me, yo, you can't buy properties for $5,000. I said, you can't. Like, you, you know what I'm saying? Hey, listen, man. Interviewing and asking questions is a lifestyle. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it is. Look, it's in his DNA. I'm right, just saying, okay? Sure. And so 1% interest, you know, um, and those properties um, occupied is anywhere from twelve to $1,400 a month consistently. To a lot of people, you're like, yo, that ain't no money, but you don't got to work for it. Yo, I, yo I've, I've literally never even seen the property. Yeah. Like I was on FaceTime with, with her one day where she's like, before we bought it, and she was walking through like, uh, yeah, we're going to have to let that tenant go and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, oh, wow. She's like, yeah, we got to do all this other stuff. And eventually, everything she said was going to happen, happened. She said, yeah, we got to have some sort of sustainability period. Like, you're going to have to like have some sort of reserve until we like get people out and like do the repairs and stuff like that. And literally, I get a check for about $1,000 every single month. And I've never seen the property. So what she's teaching me is you can acquire the property, have a property manager in place. Their responsibility is to make sure that we make money because Mm -hmm. the property manager gets a percentage of the rent, correct? That's right. And I am so okay with that because I've never seen these properties. And they have no headache with it. And I mean, $12,000 a year, when you think about not doing anything, there's people at McDonald's right now working every single, like like five days a week, you know, 52 weeks in a year, if they have, you know, time or whatever, all, but that's what they're making. Yeah, I made 30000 a year at the Cheesecake Factory. Like, I made, that's three, like, uh, about $3,000 a month. Mm-hmm. I'm making a third of that with this property without touching it. Mm-hmm. And I never really understood the power of real estate, but now I'm starting to see. Oh, so, beautiful. we got... What's up, podcaster or soon-to-be podcaster? Get ready to level up your podcast game because the number one podcast education summit of the year is back, and it's bigger and better than ever. I'm talking about the second annual podcast summit happening on July 4th and 5th in the content creation capital of the world. You already know, ATL, baby. Atlanta, Georgia, going down July 4th and 5th, two full days. Imagine this. Imagine you getting all the game you need to take your voice, your brand, your business to the next level. Imagine getting all the insider tips. Imagine getting all the know-how that you've been craving for the last two, three, four years where you're talking about you're going to start a podcast, but you haven't yet because you don't have the tools, you don't have the tips, you don't have the tricks. I don't care if you're just starting or you're a seasoned pro. This summit has something for everyone. Picture you mastering the basics of setting up your podcast or unlocking the secrets to grow your brand on social media. We're not just talking about podcasting here. I'm talking about you want to build a long form catalog, whether it's skits, movies. We got people talking about script writing. This is an incredible experience. Imagine, imagine discovering the art of securing these lucrative sponsorship deals. And that's not all. Learn the ropes of creating a pitch deck that has sponsors knocking down your door. But wait, 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 wait. There's more. This isn't just a summit. This is an experience. I'm telling you. Rub shoulders with industry leaders. 
And you got to network with other people that are doing what you're doing. All the guests that have ever been on Social Proof Podcast, I'm giving them a free ticket. And in exchange, they promise me that they're going to sit down and do short interviews with you. We got podcast booths for our VIP members where you can sit down, pull somebody to a side, and you're going to create content in real time. I know what you're thinking. How do I get a part of this podcasting paradise? Well, it's simple. All you have to do is head over to podcastsummit.com, grab your tickets now, but hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, because I have something really, really special for you. I got a little treat for my early birds, people who take action. The next 20 listeners and only 20 listeners who get your tickets right now, okay? I'm not only going to give you 20% off of whatever ticket level you get, you get 20% off, but if you use the promo code BIGDEAL, It'll take 20% off immediately, but I'm also going to allow the first 20 people listening to this right now to be able to bring a friend, bring a teammate, bring a partner for absolutely free. You get general admission, they get general admission. You get VIP, they get VIP. Whatever ticket level you purchase, you get to bring a friend, partner, colleague, boo thing for absolutely free. Nothing extra required. My team's going to reach out to you, get your partner's name, or if you don't have the person you... No, right now, yet you got time, no pressure, you get us back. But use that code big deal that triggers to let us know you get to bring someone for free. So don't wait. So secure your spot at the number one podcast education summit in the country. Join us July 4th and 5th in Atlanta. Let's turn your podcast dreams into a reality, y'all. Head over to podcastsummit.com. Use promo code big deal at checkout and get your tickets now don't miss out on the opportunity to take your podcast to new heights take your brand to new heights take your business to new heights with this unprecedented offer okay i'll see you at the summit and don't forget to use promo code big deal i walk into the next deal it's so beautiful and this all happened what it's been about a year or so a little over a year yeah I mean, when you became aggressive and said, yo, I realized I can't leave, you know, con- like, I guess you can leave content, but it's some kind of way you told it to me. I was like, ooh, that's good. Like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, you can't leave like, yo, like Naveen said, right? Like, they got to know how to influence themselves. You can't leave that. I can't leave this podcast. Like, you can't, yeah. Yeah. So at the end of the day, it was like, but I can't leave from real estate. You know what I'm saying? I've always been like that. My son got more bricks than probably anybody in this room right now. Not to be cocky. Like, you know what I'm saying? But I've been breaking Going this boy bricks since he's been Howdy. Old, You know Howdy. what I'm saying? 18. Oh, yeah. my gosh. I always threaten him. I said, um, anytime he want to make a bad decision or whatever, I'd be like, yeah, I'm just going to take the house out your trust my money. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's our conversation. So he gets so mad at me. <laughs> like, that's how we talk in the house. So, I love yeah. it. I love yeah. it. All right. So, this next deal, we got to walk through that because... Yeah. We got a um, six-unit building, literally a stone throw from the French Quarter, yes. which is crazy. Yes. How we do that? So, again, I mean, favor not fair. Um, Somebody asked, like, how can I get access to you? I'm like, you got to be in a room. Like, you know what I'm saying? So, I don't know. My daughter, maybe, somehow. Like, she's always looking at real estate and finding deals. And how old is your daughter? 17 now. 17. She yeah. actually found the property that we flipped. Yeah. And she found this French Quarter deal, yeah, too. Yeah, it's the French Quarter deal. Yeah, like, That's she's crazy. always looking at deals. Like and She was 16 when I when, like, when we started this process, and I definitely felt some way. I'm like, this little girl <laughs> know more about... I have my real estate license, too. I'm like, yo, see, I had my real estate license 2005, 2006, I want to say. I'm like, this little girl know way more about real estate and way more about wealth building than I do. So I'm like, all right, let me, I gotta, oh, let me get connected to your mama. Yeah, okay. she about that check, for real. Like, I mean, <laughs> closing happens, she's like, What's, what we're doing? Like, you know what I'm saying? She's like serious about it. Um, but anyway, so, um, I mean, they was asking a half a million dollars for this property, you know, um, and I went in, we negotiated, we ended up at 350 So how does that happen? And I'm still trying to figure that yeah. out about you. <laughs> So and, and now when I look at properties, the price of the property, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to because right. I know Terrica don't normally pay that number anyway. I don't. I don't. And I don't pay attention to their numbers. I think that's just one man's opinion. Um, but what I will say is that, you know, the property wasn't even on the market long, to be honest with you. And with, you know, going in and saying, OK, I want it at 350000 my numbers have to work or they have to work. 
So if our numbers don't work and if I'm not happy with the numbers, you know, um, that they have on the market, like right now, we're looking at a personal home for me and my family. Well, they want 1.9. I text the realtor. I say, I can't get to 1.9. I don't really like that number. I said, I don't really like your comps. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, And so she was like, but the pool is, blah, blah. I said, I don't really like your comps. And it's the same going back to this deal with the realtor. I'm like, you know, I like this deal at this price. These numbers make sense for an investor. Only an investor going to come and get this turd. Nobody else. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, he went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then he was like, well, can you come in at 390? You see, when you're negotiating, you don't overcomplicate it. You allow them to talk themselves into a deal that's favorable to you. Mm. When he came back and said, you know, would you consider 390? I'm like, ooh, got him. Mm. Got him. I said, I'm not at 390. I said, but we are closer. We are closer. Let me tell you a few more of my concerns. And so we just went back and forth, back and forth. We came to a meeting round. I think it was like 350 or 360. We closed on it ASAP because I'm like, yo, give me that. That's the dirt in New Orleans. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, if we had the, if this house blow down right now, we literally paid the price of the dirt. That's how much that land is valued at. Dang. So knowing that, it's like, it's a no brainer. Yo, and, and tell them about the little thing we had to sign about. Oh, the retribution clause? Retribution. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, you know, some people take advantage of people, you know, um, and so they like, you know, we want to make sure that you don't come back and, you know, um, say we took advantage of you and or you took advantage of us and that we sold this property way below market value to you and that you're accepting it in the condition that it's in and you won't sue us and we won't sue you. Technically, that's how the retribution. When do you have to sign retribution? Well, every state is different, you know, um, but in the state of Louisiana, normally we'll sign that if it's just a professional dealing with just a homeowner, like Mm -hmm. a regular home seller with no credentials, no knowledge. Like a lot of people took advantage of people during Hurricane Katrina who didn't really have professional knowledge. And so they gave them pennies on the dollar for their property right after Hurricane Katrina. I'm talking like $10,000. And then you come back to home, it's a half a million dollars. Mm -hmm. Well, that's that right there is where the retribution clause became like more aggressive in the state of Louisiana when they started taking advantage of people like that. And so, you know, me personally, I never want anybody to say I take advantage of them. I'm just, I feel like I'm a great negotiator. Mm -hmm. And if I don't like the deal, I just won't buy it. Like I'm not attached emotionally to any deal. I begin attached a little bit. Yeah. Emotionally. I I like, yo, if it's like the perfect space. Remember the one we we went to look at? uh, Joe, you was there, right? Yeah. Yeah, was Reese there too? Yeah. Oh, you got the footage, right? So we we walked through this. It was, I think it was, what, 30,000 square feet? It was a big turd. And what's, yeah, it was, but I saw the beauty of it too. Yeah. I saw the beauty, but it was a turd. 30,000 square feet, not far, from around, around the corner. And what was impressive is it's this big building and there's no pillars on the inside. Right. So the way I'm looking at it, like, yo, we can have concert. We could build this joint and like we have a Drake concert and it will hold the people. And I'm like, oh, T, I like it. And she's like, yeah, we was like, I'm like, yo, but it, I, I, I don't know. I forgot how much they wanted. They wanted like three million or something like that. It was, it was, it was up there. It was just too much. Tara can't like the number. Yeah. So. It was just the numbers for me. It was just the so numbers I'm for looking me. at what we could do with the space and you're only looking at the numbers. Yeah, well, because the numbers is what bankrupt people. When they don't look at them, they get haircuts. You cannot buy real estate and not pay attention to the formulas. That is why we have formulas. So if you're going to invest as an investor, you got to you gotta show respect to what's going to protect you, the numbers, right? And so, like, I'm like, Dave, we're going to have a whole lot of holding costs, you know, for a long period of time. And we got to put in a lot of money into this. And you know what I'm saying? Like, the numbers just have to make sense. Now, if Pombo was at a million, you'd be like, all right. You know what I'm saying? Right you know, right. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? But they haven't, you know, in this market, people will try to get you to overpay for something um, just because it's a trend. Because, you know, oh, Atlanta is so hot. The market is so hot. We're going to overpay, blah, blah, blah. And you got all this inflation. I'm not emotionally driven, and that's what keeps me protected because I know this bubble eventually is gonna pop, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna eat like we're gonna eat like debit cake eat like you mm. know what I'm saying it's gonna be good you mm. know um 
And so I do believe the transfer of wealth is from the inpatient to the patient. So we got to be patient. We have to be. So I got to take my heart out of it. That's look right. at the numbers. Those same you, builders you see, we will be buying them. Can you can you explain a little bit of the formulas? Yes. Which one? I mean, just give me one. One formula that I need to be looking at, let's say commercial real estate. Mm-hmm. What are the numbers that you're looking at? So one of the questions you asked me is like, yo, T, how you chop this up real fast, right? Now, this is not like a, um, this is just a quick formula. You still got to do due diligence. You still got to do different things like that, right? But I always look at the 100 times rule. So I look at the monthly gross income on any multifamily deal or any commercial deal, and I multiply it times 100. So take out your phones right now and you say, okay, it makes $15,000 a month gross. Mm-hmm. Times 100. What is that number? Say it again. $15,000 a month. Mm-hmm. Times 100. 1.5 million. 1.5 million. So your I, formulas. You right. got to work on your formulas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your okay. yeah. So I know they shouldn't be asking over 1.5 million for this building. Mm. Because that's a quick formula that investors use. And look, we didn't come up with this. I mean, the people that's been buying real estate before us, before the 400 years came up mm. with this. Like, you get what I'm saying? So all we doing is using the knowledge that they've been using, but now we're applying it correctly. So when you be like, yo, T, like, you know, you sent me something. I'm like, yeah, they overpriced by this much. It was like, well, how? Because I just did a quick hundred times rule. So if it's not making any income and it have potential to be income, that's not my fault. I'm going to give them an offer based on the current condition because I have to base it on what if I get zero tenants? Now, I'm sure I'm going to get some, but I'm not basing my numbers to make them feel good. I'm basing my numbers on what I believe is my worst case scenario so it can still be my best case scenario. If someone's selling something and it works inside your formula, will you automatically still negotiate? When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, who don't? So real estate, you got to always remember, everything's negotiable in real estate. Everything, your closing date, your attorney, your realtor fees, anybody that's involved in the deal is negotiable. If if a realtor is trying to be pushy and make you take a deal, say, all right, look, I'll take it, but I need you to cut your commission by 2%. Mm. They're going to stop being pushy. Mm They're going to be like, nah, we agree with you. You need to negotiate with the seller. (laughs) <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? They're going to push you back over there. And so, absolutely, just because it falls in the formula, like I said, that's just a quick rule of thumb. I still got other stuff that I have to go in and do. But I'm going to look at the numbers that are the best for me because I've taken enough haircuts in this game to know one bad haircut could, like, bankrupt me completely. I don't want that. Wow. We have Miss Terrica Lynn Smith in the building. Uh, just really stop by while like you're in transition, came to Atlanta, has a layover, came here, yep. hung out with me for a second, That's then you're right. about to head right back out. Um, but when it comes to the word investor, because you have investor on your hat, that's a dope investor hat. Thank you. When you hear the word investor, what does that mean to you? So um, I think, well, I think for myself, right? I think everybody have their own definitions, but for me, it just means buying income. Buying income. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anytime, anytime a word investor is mentioned, they're looking to buy income. That's the whole reason for becoming any type of investor, whether it's real estate, whether it's in stocks, whether it's in mergers and acquisitions, um, whether it's in 
like whatever, it doesn't matter. An investor buys income. Mm. That's what they do. And I would imagine, so there's, there's, I guess, levels here, right? Because um, you can build streams of income mm-hmm. or you can buy streams of income. That's right. So you built some streams of income before and yes. you've bought streams of income. So tell yes. me about building a stream of income. Like you're a yeah. real estate agent. Like, tell me about that process. Yeah. So building a stream of income is, you know, obviously much more different than buying income because you got to put in a little bit more elbow grease than you would if you was just buying something that's already, you know, um, self-sustaining. So whenever I'm looking at, you know, building income, it's going to start from the ugliest property the ugliest property probably on the block. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you start there and then you take some money and you fix it up. And if your goal is to hold it, then you look at the longevity of the deal to see how much it's going to take to, you know, fix it up and cash flow you. Um, And then from there, you allow that income to take care of you. So that's building in the simplest of forms. I'm trying to keep it elementary too. Also, yeah, for sure. But also, Talk, um, you can talk to being a real estate agent mm-hmm. where you had to go get clients. What was that work like? That was yeah, that's, yeah, that's like um, <laughs> employee. Like, that's what it's like <laughs> being an employee. So um, to all of my realtors out there, make sure you're not just helping everybody else find their dream. You need to be investing in the dream as well. Um, that's just a disclaimer. I like to say that, right? Right. So what does that mean? Right. Whenever I was a real estate agent, I thought I was going to be super rich. Like Mm -hmm. I was like, yo, I got my license. I worked hard. It took me forever to pass this real estate exam. And here I go. And then I'm thinking like everybody was just going to want to do business with me because I have this piece of paper. Like, you Mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Like, da da da. Like, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) And nobody did. Like, nobody did. And so my first year, I made $5,000 in real estate. And I'm like, I could have went to McDonald's and made way much more money than this. Like this is ridiculous. <laughs> so my first year in real estate, I was less than minimum wage, but I didn't know anybody. I didn't know um, anything about um, finding a niche. I didn't have a real estate coach. The broker was not a coach. He was my pimp. So he just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like they'd be like, go out there and work, go out there and work and bring me back some commission. Mm. Like, you know what I'm saying? They don't got to do nothing. They supposed to teach, train, motivate, educate, all that, but they don't. Well, some do. Let me say Mm. some brokers do, not all. But um, the broker I had did not. He wanted a check. And so... Um, I remember buying this CD, and you know what a CD is. Yeah, you you and my age group. Yeah, uh, yeah but you know, I yeah, got a younger yeah. group. You got to explain <laughs> it, give the definition, what you had to do with the CD. <laughs> so um, back in the day, we had things that were called CDs, mm. and they're like these circle things that have um, voices on them, right. music or whatever. <laughs> I don't know how to describe right. a CD. And you put it into a machine, and it you can hear the people on it. (laughs) So I had bought this program. um, It was like $12 and I didn't know if it was fraud or not, but it was like a um, CD um, by Todd Bates. I remember. And he was, um, he was talking in regards to um, comebacks and confidence and, you know, um, just, finding a niche lane and different things like that. And I would listen to that CD every single day. Well, the next year I went out and I became century 21 rookie of the year because Mm. I was, I smashed the game like that CD listening to it every day. It just changed my mindset. It gave me confidence because when I was a realtor, I would go and ask for business. Like I needed them. Yeah. But the CD taught me they need me. Yeah. It's like going to a doctor, right? Mm-hmm. You you need the doctor. Sure. Well, I'm the real estate doctor, so they need me. And so I built that confidence up. And then from there, I um, I found my niche with investors. Um, I stopped focusing on sellers and buyers. And I went solely after real estate investors. And I mean, I worked for free. Until I, it paid off and one rich person knows another rich person. Mm-hmm. And then from there, that's how my business grew. I love it. And there's nothing wrong with building streams of income, y'all. And I mm-hmm. encourage it. Mm-hmm. Build a stream of income because you understand a lot about real estate. Absolutely. A lot about entrepreneurship. But you are not an agent. You are a broker. Right. Right. So can you explain the difference? Sure. Let me give you guys a difference because most people kind of get it confused. So. When you are a real estate agent, you have to hang your license with a broker. Mm -hmm. 
So you can't just sell. You can get your license. You have to. So for me, I'm the broker owner. So mm -hmm. there are agents that have to have their license somewhere. So they house their license with me. Mm -hmm. And essentially what people don't recognize is when they write the contract, you are an agent and that is technically not your contract. That contract belongs to the broker. Hold Everything on, hold on. As an agent, hold on. Because I had my license before and I'm right. like, when I go get a contract, I sign a contract. I didn't do that well. <laughs> but I didn't do that good. Um, but so when I sign a contract with, like say somebody wants to buy a house right. or sell a house, they're not signing a contract with me. It's with the broker. Absolutely. It is with the broker. And we are essentially responsible for the compliance. We're responsible. If they want to sue anybody on this contract, they're not suing you as the agent. They're going what? to sue the broker because we're the ones that actually are responsible for the entire mm. transaction. So let's just say, and this is this hasn't happened to me, but let's just say mm. you write a contract. And you're like, I like it over here at Watson Realty Co., but I, I want to leave and I want to take my contract with me. I don't have to give it to you. It's mine. I can pay you your split, but mm. that contract belongs to Watson Realty Co. Oh, wow. So that's what most people don't recognize. So that's the biggest difference between being an agent. You're responsible for yourself. The minute you become a broker, you're responsible for how many other, how many other people hang their license with you. Mm -hmm. And it's a huge responsibility because people get sued every day, B. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. Yo, so give me some successes. Like, what is, like, how big is your firm? We are right at 34 agents today. What? And I can tell you, I always wanted to be one of those firms that were tiny but mighty. I could have 100 agents if yeah. I wanted to. The reason I moved that way because my agents are actually producing. So mm. I don't want to have 100 agents and only 20 people are closing deals. I have 30 agents and 30 agents are closing deals. And that mm. makes a big difference in my recruiting process and my thought process about how I'm managing my structure of the business. Mm. How much real estate y'all selling? Right now, I'm t the goal this year is 100 million. We are already at 80 million. What? What? Yes. 80 million already closed deals. And uh, by the end of the year, I know we're surpassed 100 million because I'm watching the contracts and I see the deals coming through. What about last year? So last year we were only at six agents. I just opened. I just opened the doors this year. Wow. So at six agents last year. We actually still closed sixty-two million dollars. What with state. six agents? With six agents. I mean, I'm still a producing agent. I closed twenty-two million by myself. Come on, you better talk that talk. <laughs> like, you better talk that talk I, I, here, I closed, that, I closed that by myself, and I do that consistently. I've been doing that for the last three years. Even in this space, I am now with everything I'm doing. I'm on track to close twenty million individually in real estate by myself. Oh my gosh! Okay, okay, okay. So, what what is a what does a normal agent do? Like first year, what's like the first expectation? Your first expectation in your first year is you're going to have to pay to play. There are so many people getting this business. You think I'm just going to be great? I'm going to take that picture like mm. Kiana. I'm going to post it on Instagram. <laughs> Boom! I'm going to blow up. That right. is not how it, it works. That way. Your first year, I would recommend you join a team. And if you're just going to be out in the trenches, you need to take that time to learn what you're doing, mm -hmm. understand the process, and go for what we like to call is going to be the easier deals, which are going to be the lower cost deals, first time home buyers. But that's how you're going to learn because mm. by the time you're closing multi million dollar deals, you can't learn on those deals. You're going to have to be a hundred percent in it to win it because it's so much more to lose. Um, so mm. I would say your first year, you're going to use learning. Yeah. You're going to be, you're going to be somebody's admin. You're going to be mm. in the field. You're going to be opening doors for a top producing agent. You're going to have to help somebody so you can help yourself, get you a mentor. And then by the time you learn what you're doing, get your back end together. Mm. There are so many people like you start off with one. Oh, I can manage these clients in my cell phone. That's cool. When you got five clients, I've serviced over 250 people. They can't stand myself. I need a database. And so, but start off with a database. Yeah. I made that mistake when I first got like started popping. I'm like, I can manage this on my mm. phone. And then I had to pay, I paid somebody like $3,000 to fix my database when I recognized this is messed up. Yeah. Like, have you ever went to get your teeth done? Like at a, a dentist appointment, right? And they send you happy birthday in your email, mm. get the card. Yeah. That's your database. They're not doing that physically. You know that, right? <laughs> right it's right. a machine. And right. so it's the same thing like real estate. It's a machine. And if you run it like a business, you'll last. So gotcha. your first year, set the foundation, because when you're busy, you're going to be too busy to set the foundation. Mm. How much should I, ex on, on average, first year as an agent, like how much real estate you think I should sell? Is it a million, two million? Mm. My expectation is that I'm going to tell you, you're, two, about two million in real estate would be fair in your first year mm -hmm. um, because you're still learning and people still have to trust you and you have to kind of get your confidence up and your knowledge up. About two million, two point five million would be a good year for a first year agent. Mm, and the average is like three percent, right? Absolutely. So the average is three percent. 
So 3% of a million is what? 3,000? 30,000? 30,000. So you're going to make, well, if, after you pay your broker, so you got your, bro, your broker going to take some money. I think that y'all forget, like you calculate all this money, but if you're on a team, they probably taking 30%. Your broker going to take their 20%. Like everybody, everybody eats first and then you get your split. I ain't in your I ain't in your business, Kiana. But I know, I know. Please don't. Twenty two million. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Yeah, okay. And that's like so. You have your own. You still produce your own, and then as a broker, you're helping other people. So you get yeah, a I little get, piece I, off of I, that. Of course, this is how it works. You know, and, and shout out to the agents of Watson Realty Co. Mm. Let me say that. But there's this how it works. Of course, I get I get a piece of everything they close because mm. I'm setting the foundation. For their closings, I'm available for broker support. When they come to the company, the backend systems are in place. The CRM is in place. The templates are in place. Your processes are in place. Your backend design center is in place. You can kind of come and plug and play. And for mm -hmm. that, there's a compensation. And for that time of helping you manage deals, helping you through your first deal, or helping you through uh, your first multi-million dollar deal, I'm, go I'm going to get my fee. I ain't mad at that. <laughs> I mean, I, I, obviously, for sure, like if you're like, not only just facilitating, but I'm sure there's a, a mentorship aspect and all that kind I, of stuff. It's a mentorship yeah. aspect. And, and the difference between me and other brokerages, it's a, it is a exposure aspect. Mm -hmm. You know, Watch Realty Co., we have our own dedicated social media page. In that page, we highlight every single one of our agents. And people go over there and they choose. Yeah. Other brokers, they don't really do that. And so you're getting the social aspect of it. So when I make a big announcement about Watson Realty Co. and work with one of my agents, there are two of my agents. One of my agents, she's uh, an associate agent on the team. Mm. And I was like telling everyone, just go support us. Go What's support associate us. agent? So an associate agent is... Uh, on a team of a principal agent. My principal mm. agents, I have 14 of those. Those yeah. are the ones that are my heavy hitters. I know they're going to close 10 million plus a year. What? They all, they all are. Like they all, the minimum, I think on my, probably like 7 million in a year. But the my, I have, those are my heavy hitters. And then from there, they bring team members underneath them, which are our associate agents. They, they have to come under a team. Right. So when you come under a team, what that does for me is I have most of my trainings and most of my mentorship directly with the principal agents. But every month I train everybody yeah. and the door is open, but it makes it easier for me because now like I'm, I'm not going to in a space where I can teach you how to write your first contract, join a team for that. But I am in a space like, Kian, I got my first multimillion deal. All right. Now you, you experience, let me mm -hmm. give you some real game. Um, let me show you how to structure your business. Let me show you how to build a team. So most of the agents that come to me, I'm teaching them how to build a team because they see I've successfully done it. Mm. And they are like really successful in building teams and encouraging them. We, we don't have a revolving door. People come and they stay. Yeah. It's a reason for that. Why do they pick you like uh, Watson Realty versus Keller Williams or uh -huh. Metro Brokers? Like, why do you think those people say, Yo, I want to rock wire? I feel like it's because I, I, I come from a place of this is what I'm actually doing. Mm. See, have you have anybody seen Keller Williams in the streets closing houses? Exactly. No. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> right. Science, exactly. It? So, but when you come over here, it's like I know that I've watched Kiana build this business. I see she closes deals. Yeah. She's still out here with us a little bit. Like I'm even still I'm closing at a high level. I can tell you what's going on right now today. And our market from today, from last year, has shifted. I can train them because I'm also doing it. And you're in the streets, yeah. Exactly. So it's you. really about knowing that you're with a, a company that wants to see you win. And I'm not training you from an old concept. I'm training you from what's conceptual and what's actually happening today. I was, I was, I was actually thinking about like renewing my license. Come on. We need you. Really? Yes. I think I might. I think I might get my because one, I'm just interested in buying real estate myself. And I, I feel like I feel like if I had my license, I'd have more tools and I would understand real estate a little more. You would. You'll have a better understanding. And then let's just I tell people this all the time. There are some people that's never gonna want to do this job. But if mm -hmm. you're buying and selling real estate consistently, why not get your license and represent yourself? Mm -hmm. Get a better understanding of the market, get a better understanding of running comps, what to expect. Um, you don't have to wait for someone to open the door. You want to see something, you can go see it yourself. You have the license to do so. Oh, so that's the deal. Okay. Like, I think it's an amazing industry. I encourage everybody to get their real estate license. Even mm. on, Think about it. Even on a part-time basis. Yeah. If you have a full-time job and you help five people and you close, let's say, $3 million in real estate, you gonna make you gonna make you a, a nice little ex-side hustle income. Absolutely. And it's good. Like the the average house is if you just say you three hundred thousand dollar house, right? You're gonna make nine thousand dollars. Now, okay, give a, give or take your fees you gotta give mm. out. 
But let's just say you do that four times. You can bring an extra, you know, let's bring, let's talk about it. Sure indeed. It, it may, and that's not even, listen, that's not even the average price point in Atlanta right now. And I can put in my own lowball offers without my agent judging me. Because we do judge. <laughs> we, let me tell you, we judge. Uh, we judge because it's time. It's a million dollars off from $750. We and know it's not going to work. <laughs> we know it's not going to work. And then we be like, man, they're wasting our time. Like, we're real convinced. But sometimes. Not sometimes. So baby. It works sometimes. Who said that? So, no, yo, shout, yo, shout out to Terika. I've seen her do some amazing things. But that's because she believed in it, though. True. I'm, like, when you run the numbers, if the numbers, mm. like, I'm a numbers person. Like, mm. I've taken appraisal classes. Like, I, I actually, like, I got software that appraisers use. Like, that's how deep I am oh, into knowing that. Knowing, I want to know. Mm. Like, I need to know. And so, if it makes sense, I'm a lowballer. Right. But if it does, it makes sense. And I'm showing you these data. We're just not going to waste time. Gotcha. You didn't yeah, hire me to waste your time. Right. I might do it the one time just to prove to you wrong. But after that, we got to we got to get back on track. God, do you get a lot of people to do lowball low offers? Though? Especially Today, investors. Let me tell you right now, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, y'all think y'all could get a $2 million house for $500,000. It's recession, like, baby. Come on. Put in the offer, Kiana. Throw it in. <laughs> we are not in that type of recession. It Atlanta is not there. Like that is not what's happening. Like, like that is not what I can tell you. And I and I'm even wanting to say our industry for the last two years was insane. Like mm. a lot of us were just overworked. Mm. It was so many people losing offers back to back. People were clo- closing in over fifty thousand, mm. paying over fifty thousand over asking price, yeah, thirty thousand over asking price just to win the offer. Mm. That has slowed down, and I'm actually mm. glad it has because it was so. It was just brutal. It was brutal for the buyers. The sellers came up during that time. But now when they're like, oh, we're in a recession, I'm like, well, how are we in a recession? We still have, if you have inventory, we still only have less than two months of inventory on the market. Just ran the numbers. What does that mean? So when you have inventory on the market, this is what tells you if it's a buyer's market or a seller's market. Six months of inventory is considered to be more of a neutral market. That's a win-win for everybody. But what is what does six months of inventory mean? That's houses on the market. So six months of houses on the market that could actually supply the demand. So the at, so if if I list a house today, the, I won't expect this house to sell for six months. Meaning is no no. What on we're market talking about is the number of houses. So the last let's just say. There are 10,000 houses on the market, but there are 20,000 people looking for houses. Mm-hmm. Then you're not, we don't have enough supply to meet the demand. Uh-huh. But if there are 10,000 houses on the market and there are 10,000 people that they look in the data and looking, then now we're in a neutral market. But if you have 10,000 houses on the market and there are 40,000 people still actively approved looking for houses, you're in a seller's market. There's not enough inventory Got it. to satisfy the supply. It's a supply and demand. And if there's forty, if there's forty thousand houses on the market, but only ten thousand active buyers. Oh, now you're in a buyer's market. Buyer's market. But how do we how do we measure the the months? Like six months, five months. What so the mean? way they're measured is we're looking at the number of inventory, and then they go back to the data and look at how many people they pull that are approved for mortgages. Mm. And so when they look at this data, they come up with that number, and it comes out every month to real estate agents. Got which it. Is why. You may want to get your license. Oh, sure. Okay, so gotcha, gotcha. every month. So I looked at the data and we have 1.9 months of inventory. Yeah. It's not enough. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.